Hello, this is Pastor Jed. I want to tell you something. A lot of you are defeated because you're still sinning. A lot of you are in bondage because you're still disobedient. You know the way out is Jesus Christ. Become saved. Become sanctified. And be indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you too can walk in the power of the resurrection. Does it mean that you're not going to make bad decisions? No. But what it means, you have the capacity, the ability, and authority, and the power to make better decisions as you walk in the power of the resurrection. You think about it. The choice is yours. No more living behind the curtain of fear when you can walk in freedom. This is Pastor Jay. Peace. Like, subscribe, and share. Thank you for tuning into the Walk in Truth Radio Network. Stay tuned for an encouraging word from Pastor, Teacher Dr. James Sutton. Let's see what Pastor Sutton has to say to us today. All right, all right. This is Pastor Jay. We're gonna get into some things tonight. <clears throat> yes, every decision you make has is a consequence to it. All right. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. Welcome. This is your Friday night. Friday night discussion. Amen. Glad to see you guys starting to come in. Um, always like to uh, get it started. You know, um, we just thank God that we can come have this discussion. Yeah, I thank everybody from coming in, coming on, listening to see what the old man has to say uh, tonight. We're going to be actually, you can go go ahead and get your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. And we're going to be uh, in 2 Samuel. And I think I want to do, uh, let me see what I want to do tonight. I know what I want to do. I just want to make sure. You know, get to my page. Let me get to my page. We're going to be in Second Samuel chapter. We're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 12. You guys run over there. We're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 12. Run, run right over to Second Samuel chapter 12. And it's a familiar story. You know, this is a story about David and Bathsheba. And we're going to try to pull some things out of it. We're going to read a few. I think we're going to be down to, I think, around verse 14. And we know that David has been made king of Israel. He was the eighth brother that went against the pattern of always choosing the oldest. He has now taken his place on his throne. He's had his kingdom for a little while. He's been a very successful warrior. Um, during David's time, uh, all the battles David fought brought about peace to the land. And as David got older, he decided instead of going out to war like kings did at a certain time of the season, he would uh, stay home. And he was on his balcony, looked out, he saw Bathsheba, and he desired her. And after desiring her, he 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 ordered her to come to his palace 
and he laid with her and he got her pregnant and he didn't want to face the shame of violating the law of God and the law of the people being the king because he had wives and concubines. But Uriah was one of his mighty men of valor. Uh, Uriah, uh, Uriah's, they knew, David knew his Bathsheba's father and grandfather, Uriah's people. And he basically plotted to have him killed. And he did. He put him out in front of the Philistines. He told his generals to withdraw in the heat of the battle. And he was dead. And David thought that he had got away with it. And we all know, and some of you don't know, but I'm going to say, David is considered the apple of God's eye. David is considered God's man. And this shows me, even though you may be considered, God may call you his man. There are times in life that you may not act like his man. And normally we would say, okay, with David has committed murder and the Ten Commandments, the law of Moldo said, thou should not commit murder. Thou should not commit adultery. He did that. You know. And David should have been in the position. And, and I, and I want to say this. He was in a position to receive the wrath of God. Okay. But let's pick the story up at chapter 12. And I'm going to read a little bit. And then we're going to just talk about this for a few minutes. I don't know how long I'm going to be on here today. Uh, you can come up. Uh, i got five minutes. You can talk and you can come back as much as you want. Uh, but I just want to talk about the consequences of our decisions and, and kind of point out something to you that some of us don't understand. So get your Bible, whatever you Bible you that you're used to, whatever Bible that you feel comfortable with. Uh, I'm comfortable with all of them. And I want you to just follow along as we go along. Okay. And the Lord said, Nathan to David, and he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing but one little hue lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew up with him, with him and his children. He used to eat at his table and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock of his herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who came to him. Then David anger was kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives the man who's done done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing because he had no pity nathan said to david hmm, you are the man thus says the lord the god of israel i anointed you king over israel and i delivered you out of the hand of saul and i gave you you your master's house and your master's wife and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And this was too little. I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and had taken his wives to be your wife and have killed him with a sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with, with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David. 
The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. And the church says, amen. Amen. Wow. And I, and and it's kind of fun. I can give you a backstory on this. Uh, I was under a, a, a pastor, a bishop at one time, and he had told this story. And he tried to bring it into the 21st, the 21st century. And he tried to now imagine being in a room full of women and you're teaching this Bible study. And what he focused on was the, the parts that really they're part of the story, but they really don't mean anything as far as uh, spiritual or even consequential. I mean, David should have been out at war. Yes. He looked over the balcony. You know, he spent a lot of time talking about that. And then he spent a lot of time that he said, because if you notice, uh, Bathsheba didn't say a word other than she was pregnant. Okay. You have to remember back then, women were not considered necessarily human. There's a Jewish saying that uh, when they would pray, the rabbis would say, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a woman. So she couldn't resist. But what you know what he said? You're not going to believe this. He said that Bathsheba should have resisted him and told him, no, it was her fault that she got raped. It was her fault that she put her husband in that situation. And it was kind of interesting as the room, the women, they didn't really say anything. But I had to bring it to him and say, you, you can't do that to the women. You can't sit here and blame that on the women because he was a king. And if you knew anything about that time, if the king wanted you dead, you were dead. He could have killed her to keep the secret. Okay. So it wasn't her fault. She had to obey. She had to give in. But David's sin was he tried to cover it up. And haven't you heard a lot of times that it's not what you do, but it's the cover up that always is worse? Well, think about it. David decided not only to go to bed with this woman and commit adultery, but he also decided to cover it up when she got pregnant to kill her husband. And we know during the story in chapter 11, the husband, as you go on, was very loyal to David. Even when David called him back from the front line and tried to do the old switcheroo on him and say, okay, I'm going to bring him back, get him drunk. He's going to lie with his wife and they're going to think the baby is his. So David was willing to bring him back, let him lie with his wife and then not claim his own son. So he's going to commit another sin. You see how it keeps going. And when that didn't work, he figured there's nothing else I can do but kill him. Now, if that's not the lust of the flesh, the lust, of the eye, and the pride of life all wrapped up in one, I don't know what is. But this is common to man. This sin, that sin, lust of the flesh, lust, of the eye, pride of life, the Bible calls common. And the favor of David was God made him king, not because he did anything uh, right or wrong, but God sovereignly made David king so his election might be sure who was supposed to be king if they were going to anoint anybody. Back then, you did the oldest son. But David, out of David's seven brothers, he was the eighth and the youngest. God made him king. But David, like a lot of people that's in power, his giftedness, his privilege, and his power obviously went to his head. and He thought he could do anything he wanted to do. But the only problem is David forgot. The eyes of God is always on him. And a lot of times, saints, we forget the eyes of God is on us. The eyes of God are on us. And sometimes we do some things that have consequences. And what David did, he should have died for. Because David broke three commandments for sure. But when David said that he sinned against God, and repented that changed everything because David was eternally damned 
up until the point he repented. I want you to pay attention to this. And the hero in this story is God. It's not Nathan. It's God. Nathan was used by God to bring out the sin. And that's what the law does. When Nathan told David the story, David was angry and rightfully so. But David didn't think and couldn't imagine that he was talking about him. Because David thought he had got away with it. And the prophets come to correct things. Not the prophets of the day. I listened to a thing on fighting for your faith. Please get the YouTube page on the 2024 prophets. And they false prophets. And all of them about money. All of them about having the wealth exchange. You know, this kind of thing going on. And it's just ridiculous. And it really hurts people. And they're all over the world with their false prophecies. But no one comes like this to correct. And the Bible teaches us the word of God. One of the reasons for the word of God is correction. So David receives the correction from God himself through the spoon, the fork, the utensil of the prophet to feed him the word. And then he he tastes it. He digests it. And he realizes that is him. And he repents. But there's a consequence. There's a natural consequence. He's given, and this is a shadow and a type of salvific grace. Say that, salvific grace, not common grace. Common grace is exactly what you think. Anybody and everybody can get it. Now, some may have more than the other. It rains on the just and unjust alike. That's common grace. Common grace. Some people become king. Some people don't. Common grace. Have and have nots. Common grace. A person gets promoted on their job, common grace. Because this is something that happens regularly throughout the, the course of human life. But then there's this salvific grace, and this is a mirror of what Jesus does for us. The repentance brings about a different disposition. In Romans 2 and 4, it tells us that the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. So, so David understood once Nathan told him about his sin, he knew the consequences eternally of his sin. And that's why he said, God and only you, God, that I've sinned against. Now, he did carry out the sin on Uriah and he did sin against Uriah. But the sin in David's heart started against God. It started against God. All right. So now Nathan tells David, well, you're not going to die. See, you're not going to die. Hallelujah. You're not going to die. Nevertheless, not but, but nevertheless, there are some natural consequences that you put into play when you violated God. And the natural consequence that he's going to have to live out over his lifetime was that the sword would never leave his house and that his son Absalom would try to take his throne and that his son, when you read more story, Absalom, one of the worst, what they would do when you would go to battle against other kings, the one thing that they would do to show that you're not even controlling your house anymore, the new king or the person who won would sleep with your wives and your concubines. And Absalom did this as a slander and as a put down to his own father. And David had to live that out. David had to leave his kingdom on the run from his own son. David was a changed man after that. He still was saved. But his whole kingdom changed after that to the point that later on in the story, when David is an old man, nothing could satisfy him. All his physical pleasures, all his all that he had obtained meant nothing. And even when he wanted to build a house of God, God told him, natural consequences, your hands are too bloody. You can't build my house. Even though David had the plans, David had the wherewithal, David had the contractor, he had the setup, but God said no. He said, your son will build my house, Solomon. So really what we call Solomon's temple is really David's temple because 
David gave Solomon the, the, the plans. Okay. David, Solomon built it, but David designed it. Okay. But he wasn't allowed to do that because the natural consequence to his action was that this violence would always be with him and the repercussions were his last thing that he wanted to do for God. God said, no, you can't do it because your hands are bloody. See, saints of God and people, friends, enemies, they, there are natural consequences to the decisions you made. And you may feel that God has deserted you. And what God say, you did your sin openly, but I'm going to do my rebuke and correction. I mean, you did your sin privately, but I'm going to do my rebuke and correction openly. What you did, you did behind the back of all the people. What I'm going to do to you is, is not only your child is going to die that you, that she can see that child is going to die and everybody's going to know what you did because it's going to get around. But I'm going to do it openly. God can do stuff openly to show other people. They'll make an example out of you. So David had to deal with that. And the saints of God, we go have to deal with times where we've made some decisions and God has forgiven us. And Jesus went to the cross and we can get forgiving. We, we have forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter one, it tells us that we have adoption, redemption, uh, the forgiveness of sins, an inheritance, and we have the, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have all of that. We have forgiveness. But in that, that salvific forgiveness, David's sin had eternal consequences. If he did not repent to God, he would not have received the mercy and the salvific grace. So sometimes you do stuff and there's natural consequences and you go to God and you say, God, I want to avoid the consequences of my bad decisions. You can't. That's part of your journey. You still have to trust God, even though you might have to deal with the natural consequences to your decisions. Now, we hope that it's not as as elaborate as David, but it may be. But you're still saved. And what I want to tell you, you can't base the consequences that you have to deal with for one, whether you saved or not. Or whether God's with you or not. God said he would never leave you nor forsake you. And again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with the consequences of bad decisions. The ones you made before you came to Christ and the ones you make after you come to Christ. Hopefully you will make as many as you learn about God. Not because you're scared of God and the consequences, but because you love God. You're in a relationship with God. You're in a relationship with Jesus. You understand, understand some things about God. Last week, I talked about this love. The knowledge you get comes into wisdom that's applied correctly, and you begin to live your life out, not sitting as much so you won't have the consequences, and you start planting the good seeds and the good flowers that can maybe arise above the consequences but it doesn't negate the consequences. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But David had to deal with that. It was not Bathsheba's fault, it was his fault. And again, you're gonna hear me over and over again, you have to take personal responsibility for what you do. And that's what God wants you to do. You don't blame it on the demons. Because see, this is this is what I don't understand about saints. You're quick to blame the third parties. And we see that all the way back in Adam. What did Adam, who did Adam blame? Eve. It was a, and blaming Eve, he said, God, it's your fault because you gave me this woman. It's not the demons making you make bad decisions. It's plainly the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And you do you do your God a disservice when you don't take personal responsibility for the bad decisions you make, the sinful decisions you make. Because you're not repenting. You're asking God, you're saying it's them. God is them. 
It's some demons out here making me do this. So deal with them. But what about you? What about taking personal responsibility and repenting? Do you know it's so hard for people to repent? I've been doing this now for 20, almost 20 years. And you have people who look at me and say, why well, repenting when I got saved? Do I need to repent anymore? And I'm looking at them like, if you if you don't sin anymore and you perfect, no, you're not going to need to repent. But they don't want to. These are baby saints. I don't care how old they are, but if they got that attitude, they're still immature. Where they think I'm saved and God knows my heart. And we know what that means. Because you're assuming that you're a good person now. And whatever I do, he's going to forgive me. Well, forgiveness is there. But you need to repent so you can restore right relationship. You need to say, I'm sorry, God. And you need to turn and go in the opposite direction. It's just not being sorry. It's actually turning and going the opposite direction. And so many people don't want to repent. Would you like a prophet to come to you every time that you've done something against God and, and point you out like that? Of course not. That's why in the New Testament, he said, if you confess your sins to me, we ain't got to take it no further. If you repent, we ain't got to. I don't have to expose you. If your conscious, you have a God consciousness that convicts you of sin. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin. If It's not the world. If the world is already convicted because it don't believe. It's already doomed. But for the saint, it convicts you to the point that if you've done something against what God has truly, truly commanded you to do, what you'll do is you'll find a way to come to God. You'll come to God, not find a way. You'll come to God and say, look, yeah, it's me. You're not going to blame it on one outside source. You're going to blame it on the spirits. You're not going to blame it on your mom. You're not going to blame it on your dad. You're not going to blame it on the way you grew up. Even though those things have an impact on your life, but at some point you are saying to God, you're going to take responsibility for your life. Don't come to Christ unless you're willing to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean you, it didn't say work to get your soul saved. It says work out. That means you got to figure out your own personal relationship with God. Nobody else can do that. That's between you and God. And in this story, we see David humbling himself after being confronted. Now, we can speculate. Do you think that David would have ever came forward? With all the things that he did, do you think David was on a trajectory to come forward? I'm going to tell you what I think. Nope. Haven't you done some things where you, 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 you it's like the last thing you want to do is come forward? The last thing you want to do is let people find out. Even though David, what David did was being slowly circulated because he had to use other people to commit the sin to kill Uriah. Because everybody got somebody else that's their best friend. That general that, that get, got the letter to, 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 to kill Uriah understood some things because this was not what David normally does. David was considered a good king, a great king, a gracious king. And now you're sending me a letter saying, in the heat of the battle, would Uriah pull back? Just think about it. You'd have some questions, but you understood with your orders and you would have to obey him. Maybe he did something wrong, but Uriah didn't do anything wrong. He was loyal. The wrong thing Uriah did, as far as David is concerned, you didn't give me a way out of my sin. But you can't look for natural man to give you a way out when sin is a spiritual thing. That has spiritual and natural consequences. And because he repented, he dealt with the spirit. He said he's not going to die. Nathan told him he deserved the fact that he told him he's not going to die. It was it's understood that that was the sentence that was upon his head. And God was so gracious and mercy to save him. Which is, again, a shadow and a type of what Jesus did for us on the cross. What we deserved, we didn't got didn't get, excuse me, what we deserve, we didn't get. What we got is salvific grace. And for all those who believe, you can have it too. But again, 
consequences to some of those decisions you made when you weren't saving the bad decisions you made when you are saved there's natural consequences to them whatever you sow you shall always reap that's a law that cannot be broken if you sow into the flesh you'll get the flesh that's the bible say if you sow into the spirit you get the spirit but you have to grow into sowing in the spirit because you've been living in the flesh man longer than you've been in the spirit man i don't care how long you've been in church Matter of fact, being in church may be have hampered you from having a relationship. You know the religion. You know how to stand. You know how to walk. You know how to bow. You know how to kiss the ring of the pastor. You know how to go to all the functions. You know how to pay your tithes. All that stuff has nothing to do with your salvation. And you say, what you mean, pastor? I say, think about it. He gave you the scripture when he told you that there are some people going to say, Lord, Lord, in the last day, didn't I prophesy in your name? Did not cast demons out of your name. Did not do the religious stuff in your name. And he's going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. You person of lawlessness. I don't know you. You're trying to have a relationship with me through physical activity. But you never, ever bowed your knee. See, in that story, think about it. You did all these things, but did you repent? No, I went to church. Did you do all these things? And did you ever... Uh, admit you a sinner. No, I was never told that. I was told, come to church, come up to the front, get the right hand of fellowship, get baptized, and I'm good, and be a good boy, do what the pastor say, do what the first lady say, do what the deacon say, join the usher board, join the choir, da-da-da. And God said, I never knew you. You want real freedom. And the freedom that you get is God was generous to David. God was ready to forgive David, even though David didn't. And when David repented, David really saw how good God was. The point that later on in the story, David thought that God might relent on the killing of his son. But see, God couldn't allow that to happen because that was a monument. That son represented a monument to David. God. And God is not going to let monuments of idolatry or anything else that you can look at, or that you can that you can idolize come between you and your repentance. He was not going to uh, go back on what he said. And David had to deal with it. But once it was done, if you keep reading the story, David had to get up and get on the saddle. He didn't take his kingdom from him, but he led his kingdom, knowing that he had to live out the consequences. See, this don't, and do you know how much love that is? It's a lot. But what you think love is, and what you've been taught love is, is you getting over and away with everything. And no good parent allows their child to do something like that. No good parent allows their child to continue to get away with stuff. Eli died a broken man because God, he let his sons run amok as priests, sleeping with the women, taking the money, uh, 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 offering them strange fire and sacrifice, all that kind of stuff. Eli had to die a broken, broken man. He had to deal with the consequences of not bringing the truth to their son. And a lot of times, people, the truth does hurt. The light does hurt. But the light dispels the darkness. When David repented, that light that was in David to know that he repented actually dispelled the eternal darkness of what he did. But again, he had to deal with the natural consequences. And God didn't lift that either. God told him, about someone, the neighbor sleeping with it, but he would never imagine that it would be his son. And he loved his son. Son, even though he sinned, son killed. And David had to leave his kingdom for a while because he was a hunted man by his own son. 
but that was the decision he made. If David could go back in time, he probably would have, knowing what he knows, because we all know hindsight is twenty twenty. we wouldn't have made some of the decisions that we've made in the past. I know I wouldn't have. And I am still living out some of the bad decisions I made. Yeah, I'm a pastor, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, but I'm still living out some of the bad decisions I made because, but I don't have to deal with the eternal consequences of those bad I have been saved from them, I've been forgiven, I've been adopted into the family of God, but I still have to deal with certain things. That's okay, because from the time I got saved till now, I planted good seed in good soil. You know, I've been responsible, committed, accountable, responsible, and and and, and continue to work out my own sal- soul salvation with fear and trembling. Because this God loves me enough to die for me and give me his son as my substitute. I needed to be on that cross. I needed to be on that cross. You needed to be on that cross. But he went for you. That you can read and you can get into your spirit that there is no more condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That you can get in your spirit that Jesus was a better sacrifice. Jesus, and in Hebrews, he is the new covenant. It has under better promises. Promises better because he paid for them. I know that he's sitting on the right hand side of God interceding on all of our all the believers behalf and I know he's reconciling the world back unto himself the whole world back up to himself he paid the price the ransom to win back his people the people of the promise the true Israel the Israel of faith not the Israel of the flesh And that's what you are. You're Israel of the faith. You're not Israel of the flesh. But even if you are Israel of the flesh, being Israel of the faith means that you go all the way back to Abraham before there even was an Israel. And you're under the Melchizedek priest line. You're not under the Mosaic, Aaronic priest line. You're under him. He talked about the bulls and goats he didn't want anymore. But there was a body. He needed a body that was prepared for him. And that was Jesus Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And yes, because we're saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Spirit, we understand that there are consequences to our decisions that we still make in this sin suit. We don't get away with anything, but we grow in grace. Everything doesn't fall off the day you get saved. Matter of fact, things get heated up even the worse because now that you're not in the enemy's camp anymore, you're no longer Ephesians chapter two, verses one through four. You're Ephesians chapter one. You no longer walk to the, according to the prince of the power of the air. You don't deserve God's wrath. He took it for you. And because he took it for you, you love him because he loved you first. You will make better decisions. I just believe that. I am. And I know you can, but you have to be encouraged into it. You have to. The Bible says you must learn to do good. You have to be you have to be guided through the word of God. You have to rightly divide the word of truth because if the Bible says you have to rightly divide a word of truth. A work that won't be ashamed or disappointed. Then there's a wrong way to divide the word of truth. And 90% of the people that's on YouTube, these gurus and all that stuff, they are leading you down a place of despair because what they're telling you is they're, you need to pay them to be blessed by God. And the last time I checked, did none of them go to the cross for you? They give you these incoherent prophecies as if God has a problem talking to his creation. Let me tell you something, saints. When God wants to get your attention, He doesn't have to play these games. Because all throughout scripture, he didn't play no games. When he wanted to talk to his creation, he was frank. He was to the point 
and he did it. Now, some of the things he said were very uh, mysterious, but he told them the point why he was doing these things like in Ezekiel, how Ezekiel was acting out the captivity. Doing strange stuff and under, with the people looking and explaining to Ezekiel, you're doing this to be a visual demonstration of what's going on. How I feel about them rebelling against me. But saints don't want to pay the piper. You want to run up to the podium because it's really not an altar. Because the altar is not made by the hands of man. Go read Old Testament. You want to run up to the fake altar. You want to cry and snot. You want God. You, you, want, you want to be alleviated from the consequence of your decision. You want to say, God, if you forgive me, alleviate the consequences of my bad decision. You don't make deals like that with God. You, you're not worthy to make a deal like that with God. Don't go to God with let's make a deal. God, I've come to the altar. I cried. I spoke in tongues. I spun around in circles. I paid my tithes. Now, can I not deal with the consequences of my bad decisions? The one and I made a real bad decision. And, it's, and I can see it's about to take place. The consequences, people going to find out, people going to think this and there's going to be these kind of reactions towards society against me. And Lord, can you stop it, please? And God says, no, but I and what I'm not going to do is hold it against you in eternity. You still belong to me, but I have to chastise you. And the only way to chastise you is to let you experience the suffering from your own bad decision. And guess what the Bible says about suffering? It builds character. Everything that happens to the saint is to build his character. And it's good because God has shown us how he deals. He said, if I don't chastise you, you're not one of mine. Just like you, you ain't supposed to be chastising somebody else's child. And God said that, don't you, my children, I chastise. But you think the chastisement is the wrath of God because you never ever felt the wrath of God. Nobody alive has felt the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God is a done deal type of thing. But Jesus felt it. He took it on for you. Think about this. Everybody talk about the judgment day to come, but you but you gloss over the judgment day that came. What do you think the the the, the cross thing was? That was a judgment day. It had to happen at that time. And he judged the world guilty and he poured his wrath out on his son, his holy wrath out on his son to pay the price. God was done with mankind. If Jesus didn't make it to the cross. No telling what we were able to be. But he made it. He finished his assignment. In spite of all the beating. All the humiliation. He went to the cross without saying a mumbling word. And then he met a thief on the cross who hadn't had a chance to do nothing good. And he believed in Jesus. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's his belief that put him in the same place where Jesus was. He believed that he is. And he had to deal with the natural consequences of being a thief. The other thief said, if you God, get us down. And he could have got him down. But you you lied before to God. God, if you just get me out of this situation, I ain't going to do it no more. And you've done it over and over and over again. Look how grace is doing you over and over again. Common grace is just kicking in and you're able to continue to do what you do. And you take advantage of grace every time. One of the things God going to ask you this, what you do with the gospel that I gave you to speak? <clears throat> and how did you handle the grace that I gave you? How did you handle the salvific grace that I gave you? We know how you handle the common grace. But how did you how did you figure out, work on, understand, put into your spirit the salvific grace that I gave you? What did you do with that? Are you going to be perfect with it? Of course not. Let's not be immature when we talk. But you're going to have an opportunity. And stand before God. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my gospel? And what did you do with my grace? 
And my prayer is as a saint of God, you built up enough treasures that what you didn't do is going to be burnt off, but you're not going to lose. You're not going to, you're going to stir some saints. They're going to get in by the skin of their teeth, but they're going to be in heaven. And there's other saints that they're building up their treasures in heaven because the Bible says we're saved unto good works. You don't work to get saved. You work because you saved. So two people could be sitting side by side doing the same benevolent thing. And one is doing it to impress God as one is doing it because they, they are humbled by God's love. But you won't even know it. But God does. To our decisions. And consequences are neutral. And they are relative. Because if you do something wrong, one person may say, you're getting what you deserve. The other person may say, man, that's pretty harsh. But God says, you're my child and I need to chastise you because you should know better. You should know better. Do we succumb to our flesh? Of course we do. Do it all the time. We make excuses for, for we call them little sins. We make excuses for doing things. And, 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 and sometimes he, he'll use a person who's not saved to point out what we're doing to get our conscience kicked in and say, man, I'm being a stumbling block for this person. A lot of times people aren't coming to the, coming to the body of Christ is because of you. He said the, the Gentiles blaspheme because of you. The unsaved blaspheme God because of you, because they're watching you live hypocritically. Hypocritically doesn't mean that you're not going to do anything wrong. That's not it. The hypocrite is the person who spends an inordinate amount of time masking what everybody else knows, what everybody else thinks, and pretends as if they don't do it. And you know some people like that in church. I do too. They're in every church. So if you think you're going to find a church where there's not hypocrites, that's what they need to be, but they need to mature. But see, you don't focus on the negative. You focus on the mature saints that are growing in grace, growing in love, growing in understanding, growing in their word. And the only way that I found out that you can grow in all that I just said is to study God's word. Because his word is spirit and to walk in truth. And to put on the full armor of God. And the first thing that you put on is the belt of truth. Which, which which every other piece of armor connects to. You get that imagery. When a Roman soldier, that truth, that girdle, that belt, everything fits to that belt and it fits tight to that belt so nothing can get through. But if you don't have the unadulterated truth and you playing these games with the word of God and trying to be all mystical, you need to repent right now in the name of Jesus and you need to ask, you need to get somewhere and sit down and shut up and learn something. Your soul is on the line. And you're playing religion. So I'm like Nathan today. I'm coming to you. For those who are listening, it's playing religion. I'm coming to you. You're playing religion. And God knows it. He knows that you play religion. You know now that you're playing religion. So what you going to do about it? It's you, David. It's you. Diana, it's you, Demetrius. It's you, Susie. God will not be mocked and you're mocking him with your religion. You're mocking him with your denominational loyalty. You're, den you're mocking him with your denominational pride. And you think you're going to get into heaven with that kind of attitude where you hate other people who call themselves saints of God? You think because you can speak in tongues, you better than everybody else. When the whole chapter 13 of Corinthians tells you that you if you if you don't have love, you don't have anything. If you don't have love, he said, I am nothing. You're sitting around practicing religion and you're nothing to God because you don't have a relationship. You haven't humbled yourself. You haven't bowed your knee. You have admitted to the sins that you've done against God. Because normally in church, you don't have to just pay money. You can't buy God. You have to deal with those consequences, but you can come to Christ. You can come to Christ. So there we have it. If anybody wants to come up and say something, they sure can. Um, I'm hoping 
that uh, you guys uh, have enjoyed my little rant. But I, I really care about your soul. I really do. I really care about your soul. Yes, you're going to have to deal with consequences. Like I told you, I'm telling you the truth. I'm still dealing with consequences of some decisions I made before I got saved. I can't even practice the profession that I that I used to, that I, that I studied for, that I was one of the best at. Because I was greedy. I grew up in an era where you say, I pay the cost to be the boss. But thank God, he showed me a better way. Sometimes I look at the certificates and the plaques, and I look at them and I say, Lord, you know, thank you for, for, for showing me you, but did you have to take it all? And then I realize he knows me better than he knows himself. Did I know myself? And I realized I wouldn't be where I am today to even talk to you about love, God's love and God's justice and God's mercy and God's grace if you didn't take it all. That song, I Surrender All. Are you ready to surrender all? Or you want to keep some? The story in the Bible about God saying, get rid of it all. And the man decided to keep some. Here comes the prophet again. And Saul, what did I hear? What do I hear? He told you to destroy it all. And then what Saul said, what the, you know, we kept the best for the for the Lord in his offering. God didn't say that. God said, destroy it all. Because he didn't destroy it all. It came back to haunt him. The nation of Israel. So, if anybody wants to come up and put their two cents in about consequences, I would sure love you to come up and tell me. Am I wrong? I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to listen to anybody's opinion about this. I'm willing to listen to anybody's opinion. So it's just a matter of us. Again, if you want to come up, we can talk about, if I see your number up here, I will bring you up. I will bring you up. So we could talk about this. But you know the funny thing about David and the rest of us? It seems like when we, the more power we have, it corrupts us. What is it saying? What was it saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And a lot of times, even though we're so gifted, our giftedness ends up um, hurting us because character hasn't been developed to carry the gift. God does give gifts without repentance. And your character needs to be developed so that you can carry the gift. And that takes time. That takes mistakes. That takes leaning out into your own understanding. That takes not being like uh, Proverbs 18, 1, 2, and 3. You're so gifted, you think you can be out on an island. You're so gifted that that what the devil will do is send you a whole bunch of yes men to tell you how great you are and that you can do anything you want to do and that you're the pastor, you're the bishop, you're the apostle, and you can get away with everything, and you can't. David was a king, and he didn't get away from God. David was a king, and he didn't get away from the the the, the, the peering eyes of God that God worked through his prophet to bring him. Imagine David thought he got away with it. And here come the God telling him a story that David got all upset about. And that man who done that should die off with his head. And the prophet turns around and says, hm, as you wish, King, it's you. It's you. You're the man. You're the woman. You made the decision. You deal with it.
I know that may be shocking to some of you. Some of you are going to take your bills, your credit card bills that you ran up, and you're going to, your, your, your pastor is going to say, not only bring some money, but bring those bills up here, and God's going to pay them. My question to you, if you haven't been a good steward, why should God pay your bills like that? If you haven't been a good steward, you read up credit. Because the Bible says, if you want to go by what the Bible says, you should be the lender and not the borrower. So if you read up all those credits and made promises with your name on it to all these companies, and you decide that you want God to pay them off, why don't you just do the natural thing and file bankruptcy and try to start all over again? Because we don't practice the seven years of Jubilee to let you um, get out of your debt. But that did you not know that chapter seven is basically patterned after this, the, the seventh year, the Jubilee year, till your debt is forgiven? That's what they call it, chapter seven. Did you know that Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all the Ivy League schools used to be seminaries before they became secular schools? A lot of fascinating stuff. But you know what? Even though I know a lot of fascinating stuff, it means nothing if I can't love you. If, if I can't sit down and break bread with you, if I can't give you a cup of water. These are the things we need to think about. Yes. We have consequences. Consequences are decisions. Because there's consequences, sometimes we feel that God is not with us because we have to live through the consequences. But remember this, there's no temptation that is uncommon to man. And God will always provide you a way to escape. But a lot of times we don't want to take that way, do we? We don't want to take that way because sin is fun. We think we can get away with it. Yeah, we think we can get away with it. But God wants to tell you that you can't get away with anything. So you need to repent probably daily if you think about it. And think about this. This has nothing to do with demonic oppression or possession. David did not blame it on the spirits. Blamed himself. For his actions. I love you guys. I thank you guys for uh, taking the time to listen. I'll be back on next Friday. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I hope that the Lord will bless each and every one of you. And I pray that you will go back and read the Bible for yourself. And be honest with yourself and ask yourself, am I really am I ready? to take responsibility for my bad decisions? Am I ready to deal with the consequences of my bad decisions? And also, do I have the capacity and the God consciousness and the conviction to make good decisions that have eternal ramifications of treasures, possibly have temporal ramifications of good things happening to me in my life? Hey, this is Pastor Jake. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can catch me on my podcast. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of new to wisdom, but uh, I do have a podcast. For, I've been podcast for six years. Please check out my friend T. Drake on uh, God's Gift Through His Word. You can Google it. And you can check me out at Walk in Truth Radio Network. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Twitter. We're on Instagram at Walk underscore in Truth. Uh, we're on YouTube and we're on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, and everybody in between. So please check us out. I have Bible study lessons. We have encouraging words. We have shorts. We have all the social media stuff. But please check us out. You can uh, look down and find a contact where you can email me. We'd love to dialogue with you um if you want somebody to come speak uh you can get in touch with me i think my phone number is on most of the stuff you can call me directly 
uh, leave a message and I definitely will get back to you. Uh, again, our church is on a break other than service. So, you know, I get some enjoyment reading time. The latest thing that I'm doing in reading, and I think everybody would benefit from this, is you need to get the audio version on YouTube. It's free of the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Now, if you're not used to listening to uh, uh, dramatizations, listen to it the first time, then go back and listen to it the second time. It might take three times for you to really get the gist of what's going on. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's called the screw tape letters. You can look it up on YouTube and it's free. It's, It's about three hours long. You won't be able to listen to three hours. You probably can listen to 15 minutes and it's going to be really interesting. And you'll figure out who the characters are, what they're doing. And C.H. Lewis, uh, he's a great writer. Uh, He did the Narnia and some other writings. And uh, he's a Christian fiction writer. And I think that you would benefit from listening to the Screwtape Letters or get the book and read it. So enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your evening, wherever you are. Thank you for listening and putting up with the old man. And we'll be back next week with another question or another statement from the Bible, straight from the word of God. This is Pastor Jay. Thank you for tuning in to today's teaching. We hope you have been inspired and encouraged. Please look in the description box for our contact information. All are welcome and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Be encouraged, blessed, and at peace and remember walk in truth.